0: Welcome to this, another episode of the Brittle World Football Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know Ian is already laughing because this setup that we have had to do in the first 15 minutes of Prelude heading into this podcast, I have an open umbrella on my desk because of this dang skylight that at this time of 1.30 Eastern recording on Tuesday is shining directly on where I sit and there is no other way for you to see the top of my head that is not with the sun shining on it and with an open umbrella inside. Ian Harditz, what am I doing to my future with this dynamic?
2: You know, as a longtime anti-umbrella advocate, normally I didn't think there was a single use for those things, but you found one, so <laughs> c- congrats, Josh. Uh, I'm expecting it all to crumble
0: down at some point during this. I can't move within a two-foot span. I am two arm lengths away from my computer. John Daigle, I will have the no ability to look up any information during this podcast so i will sound even less educated than usual
3: is that a top one thing to happen in your life to yourself uh your your red hair i guess it is being hot. it's not red i get sun. that all the
0: time the when people get it upset out. with with comments that i make on football teams it used to be something i get about five years ago i would get ginger i feel like ginger <laughs> is like overblown now and was overused at some point and now It is one of those insults that carries no weight anymore.
2: That's exactly what a ginger would say, though.
4: Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices.
0: What a transition into our opening topic. As if you planned it. As if you planned it, John Daigle. Maybe you should host this podcast. Andy Dalton has signed a one-year $7 million contract with really just $3 million guaranteed with the Dallas Cowboys. Ian Harditz, is this just another lesson of where teams that have some extra cap space afforded to them want to improve their backup quarterback slot just in case something happens to the starting quarterback?
2: Or is there something more to this story? No, I think it's a strictly backup quarterback move. I mean, come on. like He's not going to compete with Dak Prescott for the starting job. I think we can all realize that. And you can tell from the way they laid out the contract, that's all they're going to do. He's only getting $3 million. Now, if Dak gets injured, if Dalton has to come on and play a massive role. He's going to get paid a lot more money. It's very similar to what the Eagles did with Nick Foles after the 2017 Super Bowl winning year. Obviously, Dalton hasn't won a Super Bowl, hasn't come close to winning a Super Bowl, but I think we can all agree, you know, it's a massive upgrade for them in the backup quarterback spot. You know, looking at deals like this, even the Jalen Hurts eagle pick, which I was, you know, originally kind of harsh on, I think the more we think about it, it is when you're a contending team, you should put some uh, value towards that backup quarterback spot because we all know what happens. And look at Pittsburgh when they just lost one player, your whole season can go down the tank. So uh, I'm cool with it. But yeah, they're definitely not, you know, this, this is not competition for Dak Prescott.
3: I disagree with everyone, our own colleagues included, that believe this is simply this is something more than just insurance for this team. Mm-hmm. Imagine getting cut in a post draft market with no team facilities open, and now imagine you're told you can live at home with your wife, with your kids, with the amazing tres leches cake at Los Cucos in Katy, Texas, next to the nearest organization, and just work as a backup that way. And that's all this is, honestly. Uh, this signing doesn't happen, in my opinion, if there is no pandemic. But it did, and thus it's a win-win. Dalton gets all those things before trying his luck again as a 33-year-old on the open market next year. And the Cowboys upgrade for only 900000 more, right? Because Cooper Cup, exclusive rights tender for $2.1 million. Rush. And Dalton, Ar- Cooper Rush, sorry, arguably the best backup in the league, $3 million. So for 900K more, everyone wins.
0: And I'm not going to say that the Cowboys roster was close to perfect. I think it still has some holes that need to be filled on it. But at this point in the calendar, like what was one area this team could have upgraded? And it's that backup quarterback spot. And you mentioned the name Cooper Rush. You go from that to a player with a ton of starting experience under his belt. But Ian Hart, it's, I know that this has been speculated. So let me ask you this question this isn't to force Dak Prescott to not hold out when we do have all season activities or training camp at some point?
2: No, I don't think it has anything to do with Dak. It comes down to the fact they need a backup. we saw what happened last season when uh, Dak's you know, his shoulder was giving him problems for the last month, the year. And yeah. they, they did not have an option to take the guy out. You know, Dak, credit to his competitiveness, but that guy has never seen a first down marker. He doesn't think he can get to. You know, it doesn't matter if there's two linebackers between him and there. So, yeah, I think upgrading this, credit to Dak for not missing a game in four years since being in the league, but it's going to happen at some point.
0: Daigle, why does Andy Dalton get $3 million that maybe can turn into $7 million, and Jameis Winston gets like $1.5 million? I think that's a question that comes from this as well, because I think if Jameis was offered more money somewhere else, you know, we wouldn't be hearing of, well, he just wants to learn under Sean Payton and, you know, learn from this system and that is there that creates so much success.
3: That was my favorite quote, because that just means that Jameis Winston didn't receive any other offers. Right. Uh, Having said that, he can still learn. It's true, he can learn under them. I think it was just right place, right time for Andy Dalton. Like I said, had his home not been in KD, Texas, in in these conditions in our world, I don't think he would have signed with Dallas at all. And it's funny because it's just another thing that the team is doing right under Mike McCarthy that they haven't done historically. Like everyone blamed Jason Garrett for the Cowboys never signing backups. But you have to go beyond that. Tony Romo was an undrafted free agent as a, the direct backup to a washed-up 32-year-old Drew Bledsoe, who just ha- and he just happened to luck into the situation. You literally have to go to mid-'90s Bernie Kosar to find the last time the Cowboys actually tried at back up before hiring Mike McCarthy, because we saw the Brandon Wheatons, the John Kitnas, the Brad Johnsons, Vinny Testaverde, all of them just come through. Because Wasn't there a Stephen
0: the- McGee in there as well at Absolutely, some point?
3: Absolutely, former Aggie I had the best
2: group. name, Drew Henson.
3: Oh, yes. Andrew, yeah. Drew Hinton was a starter, though. Uh, but all these guys, they just didn't care about backup. And it's another thing McCarthy's doing right, whether it's by hook or by crook. Uh, mm-hmm. You go to a special teams coach. He goes out and grabs arguably the best one available on the market. You go to, a, I think last year, Brett Maher should have been cut before the preseason. He was entering the year as one of the league's worst kickers. The Cowboys didn't care at all. They just had ties to him whereas this year they went out and got competition for Kai Forbath who was actually an accurate kicker coming into the year and Greg the Leg like arguably the best kicker on the market it's just a bunch of little things this organization is sneakily doing that gets me kind of excited for them to potentially have a deep playoff run
0: it's a fascinating dynamic. We talked about it on last week's podcast where, you know, some teams where it is their window to win have legit backup quarterbacks. The other teams it's their legit window to win that don't have backup quarterbacks. And it would be fascinating to see which ones come into play and make a difference if they are called into action in 2020. We had a little bit of news, so we thought we would lead with news. But there's – One more
3: quick thing. Go ahead, I Dave. cut you off. This also means that I guess the Bengals opposite of the Cowboys are going with Ryan Finley as their backup to the Joe Burrow. So – that's had the fallout of all of this situation.
0: Yeah. And again, there is no sit and wait around the NFL league anymore in terms of, you know, top 10 selections at quarterback, top 15 selections at quarterback anymore. So there's no reason why Joe Burrow is not starting week one, even with this condensed offseason. All right. Speaking of rookies and players that might be coming into new situations, the meat of this episode is going to be which players across the NFL are now feeling the most pressure. We know that rosters are basically in place with the offseason ahead of us. New players added, some teams sticking with what they already had and, and have built up. Either way, there is a, a substantial amount of pressure on certain players, either looking in the rearview mirror because you know their replacement was just brought in, or the talent is added around them, and now they need to step up, or the previous draft capital will spit on those players. So, as always on this episode, this is a draft. We do not know each other's picks, and this week we start off with Ian Harditz. Ian, who has the most pressure facing them entering the 2020 season?
2: All four of the Bengals' incumbent wide receivers. That's A.J. Green, longtime stud who we haven't seen play a healthy game since 2018. Tyler Boyd, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, but you know, still kind of questions if he can be a true number one wide receiver. John Ross showed that top 10 speed and upside in the first two weeks of last year before he couldn't stay healthy like usual. My guy Auden Tate, who people like to kind of laugh about, but hey, he averaged more yards per target than Tyler Boyd last year. The guy can make some plays, and they drafted T. Higgins with the number 33 overall pick. Whose job is Higgins there to take? Is it AJ Green? They're grooming him as the number one wide receiver, or is he going to kind of just take Auden's job and be a number four guy? Is John Ross on the trade market? Is Boyd in their future plans? This is a talented Bengals offense. They have guys everywhere. We've been talking about their two solid running backs at this point. Obviously, Burrow and those guys are going to put up some production, but right now, I, I think the pecking order has muddled. That's as been in years since then.
0: AJ Green is in that interesting boat. Ian because last year he missed all this, the entire season and so many of us thought he might force himself out of the Cincinnati situation you know I think from the outside looking in A.J. Green maybe is one of the most underrated superstars across the NFL I think part of that is because of his mentality right part of that is because of his demeanor part of that is because he's just played on the Bengals and you know they were good in his first four to five years in the NFL but kind of middling to below that Ever since. And so Daigle in the twilight years of his career, what really can we expect from AJ green playing in a a, a bad offense, unless it greatly improves under Zach Taylor in his second season, but it's not like we're heating peak AJ green right now.
3: It's, just unknown, because the last two times he's spoken publicly, uh, he's openly stated that he doesn't want to play under the franchise tag. So we're assuming he's penciled in on the franchise tag. But again, he keeps complaining about it with the organization. He just lost his longtime best friend in the organization in Andy Dalton. So I don't know what his mindset is right now. I know I've seen early beat speculation that T. Higgins is penciled in as the team's number three receiver, and rightfully so. But again, John Ross, they just declined his fifth year option and they tried shopping him last off season, so who knows maybe they just shop him again ahead of his contract year, and then uh This team also reportedly received a day-two pick, Michael Mabardi reported last year, for Alex Erickson, but kept him because Hmm. they think he's a special talent as well. So I don't know what to think of all of them. Imagine
0: passing on a second-day selection for Alex Erickson where you can find three
2: or four of those in every single draft class. I forgot Erickson was even involved in this thing. But, (laughs) okay, if we're penciling in Higgins for a number-three role, which I get you spent the thirty. the third overall pick on the guy who's out John Ross because that John Ross that speed that could help a whole lot of offenses I know with the injury factor. That's in there, but I don't think at this point, having already declined his fifth-year option, it would take more than a mid even lower round pick to get him, and Ross, I think, if he's not going to be able to step into a three-wide receiver set in Cincinnati, there are a lot of three-wide receiver sets across the league
0: that he could help. I don't know if there are any expectations for this Bengals team, though, Ian. Like, I think if anyone faces pressure on them, it's Zach Taylor. Like, what if they go through once again? And Because the Bengals roster is not good offensively and defensively. I know they have the, some good skill position players when you throw in Joe Mixon as well, but 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 there's a case where the Bengals finish the 2020 season with a top five overall pick again, maybe top three overall pick again. What's the fate of Zach Taylor in that scenario? That's what interests me about the Bengals because I still, after 16 games of a head coach, still don't know who Zach Taylor is as a coach.
3: And we don't know the identity of the team because of that. We ge- we genuinely just have no clue who Zach Taylor is outside of – I kind of like how he handles media, honestly. I like <laughs> how he uh, secretly builds up his own team, even though he knows like they don't like him or their A.J. Green situation last year. He's just not going to play all year, but he keeps saying he's week to week. I kind of like coaches that do that. I will say that.
0: Let's move on. John Daigle, you're up next with your first pick of this draft.
3: So the Colts released – a behind-the-scenes draft series on YouTube called With the Next Pick that I've been watching because I'm having a lot of sex. So uh, there were three things that stood out, right? Chris Ballard went to Wisconsin. um, And by the way, this is about Marlon Mack. I guess I should have let off with that. Uh, That is my veteran in question because Chris Ballard went to Wisconsin. So, of course, I should have personally pieced together that they drafted Jonathan Taylor. Of course they did. Uh, every scout mentioned also in, that, in those, these pick videos on YouTube that uh, they were looking to add another layer to the offense, even calling Taylor Superman before they selected him. So they were clearly very high on him. And then Frank Reich also texted Marlon Mack immediately afterwards the pick and said, hey, just so you know, we absolutely need you because we envision this being a one-two punch. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But Reich reached out to Mack, who is clearly the veteran under pressure here, uh, because he's seen fewer than two targets since the team drafted Naheem Hines the past two seasons. So what is Mac's role? Uh, I would like to argue that they should use him as a receiving back in Hines' role, considering that South Florida he had 65 catches, 7.7 yards per catch. But we've seen they're just not going to do that. So I don't know where Mac fits in with Taylor this year, despite actually believing he will have a role.
0: I think he fits I- in as the 1A and 1B in this running back group until 2021 when Jonathan Taylor just takes it over completely. Uh, I think we can point to, and I'm sure we'll hear from another running back on this list at some point, This is a team that obviously understands their offensive line is a top three unit in the NFL. And that same video, John Daigle, they talked about just envision Jonathan Taylor running behind this offensive line. Marlon Mack has actually outperformed what I thought he could do in the NFL because if you go back to his game at USF, he was this, you know, exciting electric player who like tried to make everyone miss in the backfield and would lead to negative carries. Well, he's become kind of a straight line runner in the NFL and a productive one at that. But I, I I think that this team believes that with a better player that can read their blocks even more effectively and seamlessly with greater straight line speed and big play upside, their offense can just, can go to the next level. And in their eyes, almost certainly, I think that Jonathan Taylor does that better than Marlon Mack. Maybe not immediately, maybe not by week four five or six, but towards the end of the year and definitely moving into 2021, that's probably what their plan is to.
2: I would pick Jonathan Taylor if him and Marlon Mack each had 200 touches. I think Taylor would produce more with it, but we got to keep in mind, Mack, two straight years, over 1,000 total yards, at least eight touchdowns in both those years. It's hard just to take that guy and put him directly on the bench as much as, you know, Jonathan Taylor dynasty owners would love to see him. And again, he's got the talent to do a lot of really great things with all these touches, but there's just a lot of guys here already. And we've seen Frank Reich draft. A first round, Wisconsin running back before and not use him to the fullest extent. This was with the San Diego Chargers in 2015, when Melvin Gordon couldn't even get Danny Woodhead off the field to go on there. Brandon Oliver was in the was in the twines, you know. New team, new situation. But again, it's we have no evidence of Frank Wright really giving a single back a full-time role. Marlon Mack was starting to kind of sort of get that in the first half of last season. But even then, they like Naeem Hines a whole lot more, it seems like, than any of us do guy that used him as a prime returner later in the season, even in the last few weeks, the guy was still siphoning away 10 to 15% of snaps. And we have Wright saying they like Naeem Hines in that hurry up two minute drill mode. I'm not sure if that's going to be anything that Mac, even if he can do it or Taylor are going to cut into. So yeah, if this was a one a one B backfield with Taylor and Mac. I'd be very interested in investing in that for fantasy. But the problem, I think, is that we're going to see Taylor be the 1A, Mac be a pretty equally involved 1B, and unfortunately, Hines can be that 20 25% 1C back who can help ruin things when we get negative game scripts. So, I'm sorry, I've been arguing with Colts fans and Dynasty people on my mentions all morning about this <laughs> very topic. And look, Jonathan Taylor, he, it, it sucks to not be able to be more in on these really talented players. I mean, the, the, the argument that Taylor in a different year could have been a top 10 running back drafted like a top 10 overall player drafted holds up when you look at his career production, but with righteous history of using committee backfields and with the talented backs they already have on the roster. I just think Taylor's touch projection needs to be closer to 200 than the 300. that some people are kind of getting in their
3: heads. That's why I have a hard time pinning max role in a season long scenario, because even if they do, which I expect them to, that's not even my argument open up in a one, two punch share the one, two role, uh, I think that if Jonathan Taylor is as good as they believe he is, and if he's that much better than Marlon Mack, then really how long is it till he just takes over Mack's role altogether on the final year of his contract? And that's something I can't answer.
0: Great. And that's always a difficult projection when drafting rookies or projecting rookies where you can believe in their talent, but you also have to factor in one what the role is going to be early on to help, which is impossible to predict. And then three, if when given their opportunity, do they just completely outperform everyone else? And those are the ones you really want to bank on, right? The ones that have lower draft capital in our fantasy drafts by week six, seven, we've even seen it in week, you know, 12, 13 with David Johnson during his rookie year. Boom. Then it is it's his breakout. Again, I don't know how you can project anything other than a split backfield early on if everyone is healthy across the board, but I will close by saying this. Isn't Marlon Mack the type of back that you just move on from after his rookie contract is over? Like, I think he's a quality player. I think he's a good player, but this isn't a special back. He's not one who's going to constantly create on his own, one that you can build around. And with that in mind, I think either consciously or subconsciously, decision makers, play callers, whoever else, want to prioritize who they have in their future. And Jonathan Taylor is the future of the running back spot with Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, I think
2: the only problem with Marlon Mack, he's kind of had this carry-on Johnson thing happen to him where he's had really, really good stretches, and they have briefly almost trust him with that three-down roll, and then he gets hurt and misses games. So I think if they were going to move forward, Marlon Mack, they sure as hell wouldn't have drafted a second-round running back. And they didn't trust concept. Mack in the passing game previously
3: like they're of course not going to trust Jonathan Taylor, who that was his lone weakness at Wisconsin.
0: All right. You both picked players who have possible replacements in their rear view mirror. I am going a bit of a different approach here with my first one, and I am selecting Josh Allen. While the NFL bubble seems to have questions about Josh Allen's ability as a difference maker for the Buffalo Bills, the Bills absolutely do not. I mean, Buffalo loves them some Josh Allen. They're all in. And really, right now, the Bills should be considered favorites for their division, especially with the Tom Brady-less New England Patriots. Last year, actually, I should say in the last two years, Josh Allen has 17 rushing touchdowns to his name. We know that they've revamped the offensive line heading into 2019, and in the last two years, they've added Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox, Tyler Croft. I could keep going down the list between day three draft picks as well. But if the Bills don't reach where they were last year, which was losing in the wild card game to the Houston Texans, serious questions will need to be asked about Josh Allen. And if his style, you know, is sticky, if if his style can consistently succeed at an NFL level, if it can consistently create winning teams, because it is so high variance that at that spot, you need some level again of that work consistency. So now without Tom Brady, again, If the Bills don't get to the point where they were last year, because I think on paper this is an even better team than they were last year, it could be a fascinating 2021 offseason for Josh Allen.
2: Yeah, I was happy to see them not really go out and draft and and take a veteran, you know, backup that could feasibly look better than Josh Allen at practice. I mean, for them to wait that long in the draft to get anyone, it's clearly his team for at least another year. And you would think two more years as they try to write out the rest of this rookie contract. I would just say, you know, everyone out there pointing to Josh Allen's not great 2019 numbers, just look at how much better they were than 2018 numbers. And we actually can Look at the team. They surrounded him with a better offensive line than he had in 2018. They actually gave him John Brown, Cole Beasley. Now we have Stephon Diggs there, who's a, way more of a pure number one wide receiver than either of those guys. So, you know, players get better as years go on. I mean, we, we see quarterbacks take massive step-backs in year two, like Baker Mayfield. That's not what happened with Josh. He got better. So as long as he can keep improving in year three, you know, can they or can they not make a pass to wild card round? We'll see. But, you know, I would love to see us talking this time next year. Josh Allen has completed 60 percent of his passes, maybe even average seven yards per attempt. Again, not amazing numbers, but that would be a good trajectory. I think if he can, again, just improve on what he did last year as he already improved upon his rookie numbers, uh, Buffalo might feel better about, again, moving forward with them in 2021.
3: Unlike a lot of players in his position in the past, though, I think the organization is doing their part to – to cater to his strengths, or at least to make it as easy and simplistic as possible for him to succeed, while they still continue to evaluate him on his rookie deal. Like he's only completed 36 of 131 passes, 20 plus yards downfield his entire career. But the fact is, he has the arm straight to get it done, to at least find those receivers when they run themselves open. So who do they get? They get two outside speedsters and Stephon Diggs and John Brown to build around him. You also have a reliable hands in Cole Beasley, one of the third down possession receivers in the entire league working underneath not to mention a young tight end Dawson Knox and the two running backs playing their role in a goal line thumper in Zach Moss and Devin Singletary so they are doing their part the front office Bean, uh, McDermott all of them and it's really it's kind of an it is an open-ended question like you said but also they're letting it play out because they see what we see they see that it is his raw talent that will put them over the edge if it's ever unleashed. The thing is, he has to put it together.
0: We could project an even bigger jump for Allen. But I will also say, despite his numbers improving in 2019, good defenses still gave him a ton of trouble. You know, they knew how to confuse him to, to a considerable level. And he just typically wasn't able to overcome that as like a pure passer. But I don't think Allen is ever going to be, you know, just your conventional pure passer back there. I'll also say this, and I think Bill's fans would even agree with me. You know, Buffalo has been overlooked for years and rightly so now if that is no longer the case. You know, this team should win their division. They should be the favorites. And there is no more time to show what a team is made of, what a team can can produce on the field, than when they are the favorites in their own division to then get to the playoffs. That's something what we haven't said about Buffalo in a very long time. As an observer, and am fascinated by the addition of Stefan Diggs, a player who wears his emotions on his sleeve, who puts his emotions out on social media. And if things aren't going right early for him, how does he respond to his quarterback? Because we've seen it respond
2: negatively in the past. All I want is a secret video camera set up at Bill's practice so we can watch Stefan Diggs with Tredavious White all throughout August.
0: That'll be a good one, that'll be a good one. All right, through three picks, I'll go on the turn. Lamar Jackson, how does the 2019 MVP, now Madden cover athlete follow up his season where he posted unreal numbers and, and lit defenses on fire every single week. Why doesn't Lamar Jackson, why isn't he one of the players who's facing the most pressure in the NFL right now? I mean, some ludicrous numbers last year when I was preparing for this, including that Lamar Jackson had more touchdowns than Baltimore had punts last season. Just wild. And I don't think Lamar played poorly in the playoff game. I know a lot of people do. I think he was working in negative game script, which, you know, the team didn't have a lot of experience in last year. and He just didn't have a lot of opportunities in that single playoff game. But what's his follow up? That's my main question here. Like, what's his second act? Is it, you know, Andy Weir going from the Martian to Artemis, which was absolute trash? Or is it going from A New Hope to Empire Strikes Back? which is an objectively perfect film. So is Lamar Jackson going to rise up to the pressure and show even more than he did during his 2019 MVP campaign?
3: The positive is that what was supposed to change over the offseason did not. The team returns, 10 of 11 starters. They've somehow got back both DC Don Martindale, uh, Greg Roman, and head coach. Uh, They bring just literally everyone back that was crucial to that staff.
2: So I would imagine like, yes, he does improve. I mean, he's going to improve, I think, as a real-life player, but we've got to keep in mind that what he just did, we've almost never seen before. I mean, they post, a 9% touchdown rate, is 2018 Mahomes-esque, and we saw that drop next year. Like, there's just going to be some simple statistical regression, because it's almost impossible to be as good as Lamar Jackson was in 2019. I mean, he just had the best season ever we've, that we've seen from a rook, from a rushing quarterback. Okay, do it again? Maybe. He, he, he is the best rushing quarterback we've ever seen, so maybe, you know, this was just act one, but I don't know. I would have liked to see them get someone like Stephon Diggs, give him a true number one weapon. Because although I agree, Josh, I don't think the playoff loss was on Lamar's shoulders. We also saw that, hey, there's really not anyone in this offense other than Hollywood and Mark Andrews to throw the ball to And Both those guys are great, rising young talents. They added J.K. Dobbins to give him another little change of pace factor. Hopefully the interior offensive line holds up without having Marshall Yanda there anymore. But I just think he was so good last year that we're bound to see some sort of statistical regression, even if we see Lamar take better steps to become more of a pocket passer and those types of things.
0: They're really relying on Marquise Brown to take the next step, Miles Boykin to take the next step, heck, even Mark Andrews to take the next step. And as good as Hollywood Brown was, he did miss a ton of time during his rookie season. After week one, he basically didn't play healthy the entire rest of the year. And when he is healthy and on the field, he's an absolute difference maker. How is this team going to, I know it's the third tight end, but replace Hayden Hurst? We don't really have necessarily an answer there because the, the Ravens were super exciting. When they put three tight ends on the field, then a, a defensive personnel grouping would have to try to match that, and then they would either pack it in and run the football or spread it out and run the football or pass it to two tight ends that were basically wide receivers on the field. I don't want to buy into the cliche at all, but now there is a film, a year of film, with Greg Roman leading Lamar Jackson and just running all over and passing all over NFL defenses. Now, you know, defenses and uh, opposition have uh, an offseason to game plan for that. Can the Ravens match up and create the same amount of positive game script they had last year because they just dominated opponents in 2019.
3: At least they have three players. They basically didn't use in the past and JK Dobbins this year, plus Justice Hill and Moz Boykin, the latter two, who they literally just didn't go to at all last year. So there are three steel athletic weapons they could look to. Also, you forget how dominant they were last year. So if they do tend to regress so to speak and hang around in these games more that also sort of lifts the lid on their offense and allows for more opportunity Uh, they did that twice last year they had that chiefs game and that thriller against patrick mahomes where mahomes uh totaled over 400 yards 120 rushing and then also the Bengals kind of hung around with them in week six and lamar rushed for 152 yards and a touchdown in that game as well so uh if they are hanging around more it could be very exciting at the same time too
2: we're seeing a little bit like the Chiefs from 2018 and 2019 with the Ravens on defense because this was a very good defense last year. I know they were top five in a lot of metrics. I think that was a little bit of a factor of them always, you know, get- always having a lead with Lamar Jackson already and you know, forcing defenses enforcing forcing opposing offenses to have to throw the ball, which was great. They're loaded in the secondary and they blitz so much. They make quarterbacks make quick decisions, but adding Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf, some of the guys they got in the draft. Now all of a sudden they're back to having that same front seven talent they had in years previous with CJ Mosley and Darius Smith, these guys that they you know weren't able to immediately replace going to last year. So even if the offense takes just a slight step back, because again, it's hard to be that good two years in a row.
1: Life is a highway and on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Mc Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal. If you know about this juicy gem
2: of a detour.
0: We are through four picks in this draft of who is facing the most pressure during the upcoming NFL season. Here are the four picks so far. AJ Green, Marlon Mack, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. I will be perfectly honest with you guys. I only prepared three. So I don't pick for another four selections. So if you take my next one, there would be some definite ad-libbing going on. But John Daigle, we are circling back to you here.
3: Okay, I will go with the most obvious one then. Let's go off the board here.
0: No, you can I go with obvious. obvious. I didn't pick an obvious one. So if you want to go obvious, oh, okay. you can.
3: Well, then I let the first one, let's go with Damian Williams and get that out of the way. Uh, excuse me for one moment while I try out voiceovers and read to you what Chiefs GM Veach, Brett Veach said. Uh, I certainly think it's going to be a shared load. Damien has been in this offense for a long time and certainly has shown what he can do on that playoff run. The guy's a really good pass protector and can catch the football. I mean, both these guys can catch and run and certainly Damien will come in as the starting running back and Clyde will have to come in here and compete for playing time, which we think he'll do, but I think it will be a one, two punch straight from the mouth of each. So okay. So I was going to ask, why are we assuming then that Edwards layer will suddenly take every single role for himself, because I'm still personally convinced you're not, which is why I'm going to kick it to you first as the host, uh, that Damian Williams will still share the first, second down role.
0: Because ever since Kareem Hunt left this team, they've been searching for a feature or a foundation back. And I know when Andy Reid's past, he has even split carries and touches in his backfields, even when they've been outstanding prospects and players. Brian Westbrook and Corral Bulkhalter comes to mind. But we saw when Kareem Hunt was on this team, when a talent of that caliber is there, how much of a difference it did make in an Andy Reid offense. And when the hot hand is to a superior player like Kareem Hunt was, then they continue to ride him. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can be that. I am sick of this Chiefs team with how good they are. And it's amazing how good they have been. But go from Damian Williams for a four-game stretch to then LaShawn McCoy, then to Daryl Williams – find that one player that can feature and be the foundation in that backfield and, and be the complementary piece, the supplementary piece, whatever you want to call it, the cherry on top of the cake. And no doubt in my mind, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can be that much more than Damien
2: Williams. Can. Look, it's probably going to be at least a small committee to start. And maybe Clyde just breaks straight out of that. But that's how literally every single rookie drafted in the top three rounds, like projecting them to enter committees. We have maybe five or six True workhorse three down backs, no committee backs in the entire league. This is just NFL in 2020. This is how the way things work. So, if we have a two back committee with Damian Williams and Clyde Versailles, both guys that can get those fantasy friendly targets in an offense that historically, you know, Andy Reid has fed receiving running backs that can catch the ball, plenty of targets, and one of the best offenses in the league. So, I mean, just looking at these kind of rookie running backs as a whole, okay. Keyshawn Vaughn, we know he has the easiest potential path over Ronald Jones, but even I, that's still a little bit muddled. J.K. Dobbins and Clyde hilaire to me, are shaping up as the two rookie backs you want in 2020. Just because look at those offenses. Again, everyone is in committees, but if we have two back committees and a very, very good offense, we can work with that. At a minimum, that's what we're looking at for Clyde hilaire in 2020. I think both of you made your points.
0: Ian I know that you've been going back and reviewing all these rookies who were just selected what did you think of Clyde Edwards-Hillair when watching him because he I mean he's dynamic he's fun he's exciting he's someone who is his multifaceted, right like he obviously can create on his own as a runner but then it's really special when matching up against linebackers on angle routes or put him in the slot or out wide like just the versatility that he offers to a very versatile offense already, to me, is what sets him apart. And I, I bet he sees over 100 more touches than Damian Williams just during his rookie season.
2: Yeah, uh, fancy points. Graham Barfield, you know, running back guru, said that he thought Clyde Ebersolaire was the best receiving running back he's seen come out since Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, really big shoes to fill, but, you know, you've watched him start running these angle routes and stuff, and you go, okay. It makes sense why this guy was the first SEC running back with over 50 catches in the season in the last two decades. So, no, he he looks like he's the part. I think there's kind of a false narrative going around that Mahomes doesn't like to or he won't check down to his running backs. Look, under Andy Reid, Brian Westbrook, Jamal Charles, and LeSean McCoy all averaged over 75 targets per year. When they were there. And Mahomes last year, you know, Next Gen Stats has a nice little stat called aggressiveness, which is his percentage of tight window throws. Mahomes was the fourth least aggressive quarterback last year. Doesn't mean he's not afraid of taking chances, but that just speaks to all the easy completions this Chiefs offense gets going for him anyway. I mean, honestly, having a guy like Mahomes that can make any throw on the field, you team him up with Andy Reid, who can create just, you know, bunches of yards out of nowhere, especially in these short running back games. Yeah, it's a dangerous combination. So, again, the idea that Mahomes only throws downfield all the time, he's not going to down, I don't think that's quite in reality. Clyde is going to eat.
3: And whereas Damian Williams, six years into his career, has never handled more than 111 carries, has never seen more than 30 catches in a single year. Uh, look at, to the elite of the elite when looking at Edward Hilaire's production last year, and he had 29 touches, 180 yards, and four touchdowns against Alabama and 21-164 against Clemson.
0: Since the draft has wrapped up, a lot of people are doing their dynasty leagues or rookie drafts right now. I'm going to put you guys in the spot. Is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire the easy 101 in this class? Not
3: Absolutely. easy, but I think he is.
0: I think it's easy. You can read why well. on rotoworld.com. There we go. There we go. Ian Harditz, you're up right now, and you have two picks in a row. Keep that in mind.
2: I wasn't even planning this, but it just came to me. I'm going to go with and Drake in the Arizona Cardinals situation, because look, a lot of the things we just, you know, we're talking about having these veteran running backs, you know, are they going to get this big feature role? And I think we've kind of assumed that what we saw from Kenyon Drake in the last six, eight games of 2019 is what's going to immediately happen in 2020. And David Johnson's gone, but you know, Chase Edmonds isn't gone. And neither David Johnson nor Chase Edmonds were even healthy enough to get snaps last season during that Kenyon Drake stretch. I know he's, you know, kind of getting paid, but I think there's a difference between getting handed the transition tag and getting handed a true Austin Eckler-esque, you know, multi-year contract uh, with a value over $20 million. So, you know, like Damian Williams, Kenyon Drake, we have a player that, yes, we've seen work as a three-down back, a very effective three-down back, four times, but we've never seen them do that over a 16-game schedule. So, you know, Arizona, this is a fun offense. We expect big things out of Kyler, big things out of DeAndre Hopkins. Feasibly, Kenyon Drake with 16 games as the full-time RB – could produce big numbers. Will he get that role, guys? Because, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think that we're going to look back at the numbers in week one and be like, huh, Drake and Chase Edmonds. That was a sneaky committee we probably should have seen coming. Chase Edmonds was completely
0: looked apart when he was entering the lineup last year. And, you know, if he didn't get hurt, I highly doubt the team, you know, goes after someone like Kenyon Drake, right? Like, it's not like Kenyon Drake, and I think he's a great talent, but he doesn't have, as you mentioned, a lot of draft capital to his name a big long-term contract to his name. So if Chase Edmonds goes out there, and look, this is a big projection, but it's just a question we're asking. If he goes out there and just performs better in his opportunities, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he is the starter moving
3: forward. And remember, his one chance, week seven last year, David Johnson gets the first touch and stands on the sideline as everyone in fantasy screams as Chase Edmond runs for 29 carries, 150 yards, and three touchdowns, and then got injured the following week. So yes, like the the opportunity, if it's there, he's proven he can explode.
0: It's also a little bit of a slap of the face, John Daigle, when we know one of us has to answer the question that Ian Harditz just posed or be the next comment. And as soon as he finishes talking, John Daigle just mutes his microphone. He's just like, no. After a two-second pause, it's just like, I'm not going to be the one to pick up on that. It's all you, Josh. And then instantly in your head, you have to come up with something to say even when you got nothing to say. So Daigle, that was a power move, sir. And you know, like I open, I am not even in reaching distance to my mouth. So I could not do that to you. How dare you leave me out on the edge like that? How dare you, sir?
3: In my defense, the company alarms are going to go off. But the autoplay feature jumped up when I was researching. searching something super quick. So I would just like to say, uh, it was not my fault. I just didn't want the audio trailing into the podcast. You left me out to dry,
0: to dry, John Daigle. I just want you to know that, that I will remember that moving forward. Life is what you make it, man. Ian Hart, you have another pick, go ahead.
2: Let's talk about, you know, millennial Twitter favorite, Derek Carr. And what- No, No, Ian, no, No,
0: this is the only other one that I had prepared.
2: (laughs) No! too late, Josh. We're going to talk about this entire Raiders offense. Because look, Derek Carr was better than he has ever been in 2019. That includes his fraudulent 2016 MVP campaign that people talk themselves into when they won a bunch of tight games. And Carr put up some decent counting numbers. But completion rate, yards per attempt, QBR, whatever number you want to pull out, 2019 was Derek Carr's best year at the Raiders. They were a very efficient offense, the legit top 12 unit in yards per play. They just couldn't get down the field and put the points up. What'd they do? We added Henry Ruggs, we added Brian Evers, we added Lynn Bowden. We got legit weapons there now an offense that wasn't exactly, you know, depleted of talent before. We all like Darren Waller. We saw what he did with a full-time tight end one role. Tyrell Williams is the only receiver in the league to average double-digit yards per target each of the last three seasons. Hunter Renfro was 11th in yards per route run. Personally, I think Ruggs, number 12 overall pick, you're sliding him right into three wide receiver sets. We're going to see what Bowden and Edwards do, but – You know, we'll see what happens there. Either way, all this is telling us with, you know, Marcus Mariota now sitting there on the bench, Derek Carr, it's now or never. It's your only other one, so you might as well follow it up.
0: These last five minutes of this podcast have been a nightmare for (laughs) me. I just want you guys to know. All right. These are the notes I had written down. Derek Carr was 30th in deep ball percentage last year in terms of attempts. Like, I mean, near the bottom of the league. Now, he was quite good in terms of completion percentage when, when trying that. But we just know that that's just not Derek Carr's game, right? 9.4% of his passes, 513 of those attempts, traveled 20-plus yards down the field. Meanwhile, does that who's, matter? Well, it does, because I think in the NFL, you can't just be this quarterback who wants to check down when things go wrong around him. Right, You have to be able to, in those moments, lift up people around you to drag your compadres outside of the hole that you are in, your comrades, and say, look, we are going to make this happen. And I don't know if we have ever, ever seen that from Derek Carr. To me, that always stands out. I mean, he was pressured on just 28% of his dropbacks last year. So even when he's not pressured, he is not willing to make a play. And that will always stand out to me as the factor why I can never fully invest in Derek Carr. And I don't know if whatever year we are in his career, if he can learn those new tricks, change his style to be a, more of an attacking quarterback. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, John Gruden looks around the league, even in his own division to Patrick Mahomes, and says, I want what he has. I don't even can find a Patrick Mahomes, but you can find a playmaker at quarterback. And I think secretly John Gruden goes home and says to himself, I don't have one at my quarterback.
3: I don't even know if it's secretly. Remember Marcus Mariota was formerly Mike Mayock's number five overall player in that draft coming out. Uh, the number one quarterback on the board coming out. And I think that was more giving him seven and a half million guaranteed more than just a simple, Hey, we need a backup to Derek Carr. Uh, Derek Carr, the dead cap, the Raiders can take on next year suddenly drops to only 2.5 million, meaning they'll actually free nearly 20 million in cap space if they release them next offseason. Like to me, this is the final year of his deal. Uh, and if you are sticking with them under mediocrity, even Derek card is best is truly just meaning you you want to be an eight and 18. You don't want to be a, a overachieving team. So I'm still of the belief that I do think we see Marcus Mariota at some point this year
2: you don't necessarily need to be chucking the ball down field a lot to be a great offense. Last year, the two most risk adverse quarterbacks in terms of deep ball percentage were Jimmy Garoppolo and Drew Brees, you know, two guys that led top five offenses. Now the Raiders ranked 24th in points per game last year. So I'm not saying Derek Carr's, you know, mentality fits in there, but I just think we're perhaps overrating that part of his game a little bit too much. I would say his, you know, just being terrified of the first sign of pressure is a much bigger issue for Carr than going downfield. You can't win when you're pressured and
0: then instantly look for Jalen Rashard
2: in the flat. You can't win that way. And you've already been spending, like, more than anyone on your offensive line already. I mean, the opportunities for Carr to kind of be in a, you know, have a bunch of clean pocket pass attempts have already been there. I don't know if they're going to be better. Real quick, though, like, I don't think that just because he doesn't throw downfield means that we need to write off Henry Ruggs' chances as a rookie. I mean, the deal was just fine on slants and crosses and those types of things at Bama as it was and you know I'm seeing people out there just saying that Brian Edwards could end up you know being better than Ruggs in year one because that's what their pre-draft analysis said like look they draft someone in the top 15 picks if that's coaching malpractice that guy isn't out there on the field so you know I just think this is the time of the year where really really be careful about prioritizing who you liked before April 24th with who we found out the team truly likes on April 24th.
0: Right we talked about it pre-draft with Hayden Winks you know Henry Ruggs was termed just this vertical deep ball threat. Well, Jerry Judy actually had double the amount of 15-plus-yard catches than Henry Ruggs did last season. Henry Ruggs was best with the ball in his hands. That's what John Gruden is going to do is to get more and more and more speed on the field and to get Henry Ruggs the ball in any way possible. But, Ian, this team has been built with the offensive line last year. There were stretches where the Oakland Raiders at that point, now the Las Vegas Raiders, were a top-five, top-seven unit in terms of offensive line play across the league. The the yards that they created for Josh Jacobs were fantastic. Meanwhile, you have Josh Jacobs, who they spent the first-round pick on last year, at times looked like a top three, top five ball carrier in the NFL last season. They obviously need a ton of work defensively, but at now adding pass-catching weapons around him, Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Rinford, Tyrell Williams, so on and so forth, Derek Carr cannot be the weak link anymore. I mean, he can't be the weak link this year, or else, like Daigle said, they're instantly going to move over to Marcus Mariota and try to have their Ryan Tannehill-like spark.
3: Historically, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think there was enough smoke in the offseason about Derek Carr essentially not being the team starter moving forward as they move to Las Vegas, that that is an option for them to change to Mariota midseason. Having said that, although I believe that we will truly see Mariota this season, the last time we saw Mariota, he was benched. So also, I'll temper my expectations Hmm. there. And it's not, not like
0: Marcus is this playmaker, sure, either. Yeah. like he doesn't have the playmaker mentality. But at times you think like another person's trash is your treasure. And we just saw it happen with Ryan Tannehill. And I guarantee that's what Mayock and Gruden think that, that Marcus potentially can be.
2: I have one real scary question before we move on. Jason Witten has caught at least 60 passes in every single season of his career, except his rookie season when it was 35. Do we think Las Vegas Raiders tight end Jason Witten catches 30 passes in 2020? I'm just amazed he's not—he's on another team. You
0: guys, as Cowboys supporters, how weird is it going to be to see him wear another helmet, be in another uniform? And again, it's not like we're Pete Jason Witten here. It's not like he's going to a team at his best. He's going to a team probably at his worst.
2: I just don't know what what is he doing there. What is he, playing? The takeaway, other what is the he bring? Other than to take away snaps for Darren Waller, like this yeah. is a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. If any of us were the coach, it would not be a problem. But you don't just. Bring in a future Hall of Famer, one of the greatest tight ends ever, to sit on the bench. And, like, Foster Moreau, who I think was a fourth-round
0: rookie or fifth-round rookie last year, in a blocking role capacity and being a receiver when you need him to, was perfectly anyway. fine. Like, that is not the type of player that you need to improve on.
2: He's got a history knee injury going on or something. Oh, does he? I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on with Moreau, but yeah.
3: If Jason Witten didn't eventually kill Darren Waller's career, he was going to kill Evan Ingram's career. So you just kind of take the answer (laughs) to two evils. Well, that's the only
0: way the Giants wouldn't have to try to cover him in the secondary. John Daigle, who's your last pick going to be?
3: Jimmy Garoppolo. Because it came out during the draft that 49ers GM John Lynch actually admitted, we knew it was the case all along, but he admitted that the team had internal discussions about signing Tom Brady Um, but said the idea was squashed within a day or two. That last part doesn't matter at all. The fact is they contemplated moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo after a Super Bowl, after his play on the team's final drive is what single-handedly pretty much sunk that team with all the pressure on him. So I think Jimmy Garoppolo going into this year remains under pressure. Of course he does.
0: And I mean, I feel like I repeat myself in every single freaking podcast that we do, no matter what he says, Kyle Shanahan is showing you what he thinks of his quarterback, just valuing more than anything, yards after catch capabilities. George Kittle, number two among all tight ends last year, yards after the catch. Debo Samuel, number two wide receiver in yards after the catch per reception. Tevin Coleman, number two running back. Brandon Ayuk, number six wide receiver in college football last year. The ability to create separation for your wide receivers and get them the football immediately, and design within the structure of an offense. I think, Jimmy, again, I want to go back to it because this is a very positive thing that we keep saying. You can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm -hmm. Now, the caveat is almost everything around him has to go swimmingly. It has to go perfectly. It has to be fantastic in those moments where it matters most. In the moment where that didn't happen last year, when they were behind the scoreboard after their defense allowed the Chiefs to score 21 points in a single quarter – Jimmy Garoppolo didn't perform that second half, right? He just didn't, and that's where we stand. That's where we enter the 2020 season.
2: You know, that deep ball to Manny Sanders, if it was a foot shorter, you know, we're having a different conversation. But, yeah, everything needed to be perfect, and for most of last season, everything was as perfect as you could have hoped. I mean, they were fifth in yards per play last year, even though they were the fourth most uh, pass-adverse team in the entire league. I mean, this was an offense that could run the ball as efficiently as the Baltimore Ravens who needed the best running quarterback we've ever seen to get that type of production, all the 49ers needed was Kyle Shanahan is amazing playbook. So the fact that they were as good as they were last season and they couldn't get it done, it just makes you wonder what's in store for this year because it seems like regression could be on the table. You know, I know we've seen the Super Bowl hangover curse. We've seen teams overcome that over the years, but you consider, you know, NFC West Cardinals are getting a lot better. Seahawks are going to be around again. The Rams, you know, I'd be surprised if McVay just kind of whimpers and they just become nothing. Tough division. If Garoppolo doesn't get back to playing like the guy that he was being paid to be, which, hey, maybe now that this is his second year recovering from the knee injury, he can't right. be that guy. But, again, we're going to need to see more from Jimmy than we saw last year in order for them to take that next step
3: forward. Especially because he's pretty much replaceable, right? Uh, like we talk about on this podcast often how Bell Belichick can win with – whether it's Brian Hoyer we've argued in the past or what we're gonna really see, Jared Stidham this year. I disagree that with just that, but we will find out. a replaceable quarterback. Like Kyle Shanahan also, given the fact that Garoppolo didn't run last year and is not mobile, like he can certainly win with a replacement player in this offense. And again, I, I think Jimmy's
0: solid, right? He's yeah, he's he's probably good. And you know, if you probably eliminate sure. if, if you eliminate names here, I think at some point in their careers and even from a team structurally. You might have a similar thing to say about Jared Goff and his situation with the Rams versus Jimmy Garoppolo and his situation with the 49ers right now. But I will add on to this. We have seen mismanagement from Lesneed need and Sean McVay. However you want to you know, input that dynamic to their roster, right? The massive contracts to Brandon cooks and Todd Gurley, not improving the offensive line, so on and so forth, right? Like their window is disintegrating before our eyes because I think some of that roster mismanagement, I don't think you can say the same thing for the 49ers. I think what John Lynch and Kyle Shannon are doing with that roster of trading away DeForest Buckner at the perfect time, then hopefully drafting his replacement immediately to Joe Staley retiring at the perfect time, you can get Trent Williams for a third and fifth round pick. And then while still building up the roster around them that you were able to build up picks over the years after losing and losing and losing, their window to me is much longer and much wider than what the Rams window was. Agree agree okay we're at the last pick of this draft and yes we're going off script i will try to be better than jimmy garoppolo off script here and go with my next selection um we'll go with another quarterback we'll go with dwayne haskins dwayne haskins is entering his second season in the nfl not even his second full season as a starter obviously and he goes and is part of a team now that brought in a new head coach who has totally shifted the back room, the staff, the training room, the front office, it seems like, in Ron Rivera. But what also Ron Rivera has done is brought in Scott Turner, who was part of his play calling group with the Carolina Panthers. And what Scott Turner has done is brought in Kyle Allen. Look, Dwayne Haskins, his first two games were basically abysmal as a starter last year. And he you know, consistently improved as it went on. I would say maybe the production was better than what he showed on the field in those moments of pressure and disruption around him. But this is a new start. It's a fresh start. That's what always happens when you have new hires come in. And it's even more pressure packed when those new hires bring in a player that they love. And I can't believe there are people in the NFL that love Kyle Allen, but that's what Ron Rivera and Scott Turner do. So if there is a two to three or four game stretch where Dwayne Haskins does not perform well, guess who's coming in the ball game? It is Kyle Allen. We just have a continued moment of silence for what you just said. I mean, that is terrifying. Do you disagree? I mean, I think Scott Turner loves him some Kyle Allen. In fact, I know, I know for a fact, Scott Turner loves him some Kyle Allen. With this regime not being a part of that decision to draft Dwayne Haskins, they have no ties to them. And we've seen it consistently throughout the history of the NFL, that if you have no ties to a player, you can cut off as quickly as you want to without any repercussions moving forward.
2: I don't necessarily disagree with you. It's just, it's like we just completely forget about Haskins being a good prospect in his own right. This dude sets the big, breaks Drew Brees' record for most touchdowns in a season in the Big Ten, comes out, he gets thrown to the Wolves on like a Thursday night game against the Vikings, and everyone pretty much just wrote him off after that. Don't look now. Hastings was pretty freaking awesome his last two games of the year. I know he got injured in that Giants game. I know the Eagles secondary isn't all that great, but you know what? We can pick through a whole lot of quarterbacks last year and figure out that against lesser competition. They played better. Who do you do this with? Literally one relevant wide receiver handing off to Adrian Peterson straight up the middle 20 times a game as your franchise left tackle was chilling, you know, who knows where on whatever beach you could find. Like – It was literally Josh Rosen 2.0 in terms of, like, can we find the worst possible situation for a rookie quarterback to go into? That's what Haskins had to do. So, you know, if he can't beat out Kyle Allen, then I'll sit here and eat these words, I guess. But I'm very confident that Haskins is a much, much better player than Kyle Allen. You know, I pray that we don't have to have this conversation again this year. I'm confident
3: he's better than Kyle Allen as well. But again, the organization, you're right, is not tied to him. Although it was, remember, uh, Dan Snyder who championed in the war room Dwayne Haskins because his son went to high school with him.
0: Well, oh, and there's also this factor of at the number two overall pick, they didn't take a quarterback, right? They punted on the chance of taking Tua Vailoa and instead added another first-round pick to their front seven, which they've already invested a ton in in the past. So what if Tua lights it on fire during his rookie year and Dwayne Haskins does not in his second season? It's just a question. And Ian, I totally agree with you. Like, if you ask me if I'm starting a roster right now in a franchise, who I want as a quarterback, and it doesn't matter if he's the first, second, or third option, I would much rather have Dwayne Haskins over Kyle Allen. I We've just seen these things happen. You know, NFL storylines are cyclical. They repeat themselves in two or three year segments. And we have seen a player somehow like Kyle Allen, despite what he showed last year, get another chance because of the regime change. And I I am am a little nervous that it's going to happen earlier than we think in Washington.
2: You're not wrong. I just wish they could have addressed some of these problems like they had last year, maybe instead of blaming it all on Haskins, they could have done something to the offensive line and they could have added any other weapons other than Antonio Gibson, who I really like, But it sounds like now they want to use them more as like in two RB sets. So yeah, I don't know what's going on there. So once again, it's looking like Terry McLaurin, who is awesome, is their only relevant pass game option. And they even tried to. And I think this adds on to
0: this, right? They tried to. They they gave Amari Cooper more money than the Dallas Cowboys offered him, and they just didn't get him. So they understand that that's an area where they wanted to improve. They just couldn't improve. They didn't improve in that area. And that only adds up to this equation, maybe ultimately – not resulting in a positive manner for last year's
3: first-round pick. And on that same note, also added Antonio Gandy-Golden in the draft, but again, a small-school prospect who beat up on Liberty's conference in his last two years in the FBS. So it could very well be, we talk about being concerned that Haskins only had Terry McLaurin to throw to. He may just have only Terry McLaurin to throw to again.
0: By the way, Adrian Peterson is still in that roster, which is just (laughs) –
3: yeah. Incredible.
0: Yep, he he I mean, Darius hey, guys has to get touches. You know, Bryce Love maybe gets touches. They, they get Peyton get
2: Barber. They they Barber a couple million for who knows why. J.D. Look McKissick the, is supposed to get targets. Look at their starting tight end. I think that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> I
0: actually think Scott Turner's pretty good. I kind of do too. You know, Norv was somewhat overlooked for what he did to that offense, and I think it was exciting in moments and creative in moments. And then as soon as Scott took over during those final few games of the season, even with that team looking atrocious and obviously Will Greer as the quarterback. Um, He did manufacture touches to players who weren't getting the football because the quarterback play was so bad. And I I think whenever you can have an offensive coordinator who creatively and successfully creates opportunities for his, his playmakers, then that's only a positive. All right. We've gone through nine. I will list them right now for everyone out there. And then I guess we go, do we need to do a number 10 today? I mean, I have nothing left to offer, but Let's run through these top nine. These are the players that are facing the most pressure heading into the 2020 season. Ian Harditz, A.J. Green, then Marlon Mack, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Damian Williams, Kenyon Drake, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Dwayne Haskins. do we now
3: put a defensive player on there? I nominate Xavier Rhodes for number 10. You already got cut. Yeah. Why Xavier Rhodes? Oh, he's, still on, he's on the Colts, right? Yeah, yeah, he's like, on the Colts, but he might not even play. You don't
2: know, have to kick a man while he's No, that's down. the thing. He's Christ. going to be – have
3: you seen their roster? He's going to be oh, every-down starter. That's why the heat is on him. Okay, Xavier Rhodes would number 10 by default. Hmm. I I, that's say, an interesting one.
0: I would say like the entire Colts defense, DeForest Buckner included, because of how many resources they've put into their offense that they, you know, were so patient for years and years and years, and then go invest in Phillip Rivers, and now it's your window. It's like your two-year window. Mm-hmm. And boom, do you have the defense to to match that? Matt Eberflus has done a really good job with maybe not middling talent, but like a lack of investment on talent on that side. But now that cannot be the case at all.
2: Yeah, only other ones I had listed were Jared Stedham, who we've already talked enough about on this podcast, and running backs that didn't have a, t- a top three-round running back added to their room, Miles Sanders, and wait for it, Chris Carson, John Daigle's guy who doesn't think would make the Patriots roster. So we'll see if those guys can, again, have a three-down roll in scratch. 2020. Uh, carry on Johnson and Alshon Jeffrey, too. Then we can close it. By the way, John, I, I almost agree with you now on that. I mean, he, w- he would be healthy scratch at some point.
0: You guys are are so ludicrous.
2: Dude, Belichick does not put up with the fumbles,
3: Josh. It's not about talent.
0: There is no time I question more of this podcast than when you bring up that statement. Ryan Tanehill. Ryan Tannehill faces a ton of pressure in 2020, does he not? I mean, he had like a 10, 12-game stretch last mm. year where he was the best play-action passer in football, one of the top five quarterbacks by some metrics in football last year. That's very different than what we've seen of Ryan Taylor in his past. Now he has, obviously, a contract. He is long-term in Tennessee. So is he going to measure up? Can he match the money that was given to him? Because they are, he's stuck with Tennessee. They're stuck with him. Is it going to be the type of offense that can sustain success and can be sticky year to year?
3: And if he doesn't sustain, does that mean Derrick Henry doesn't get to play that often and Darrington mm-hmm. Evans is on the field more?
0: Mm-hmm. Bye bye, Dion Lewis. If I really wanted to go off the radar, I would have said Steve Kime, even though he's not a player, just because Steve Kime once again chased his dream of having a hybrid linebacker, edge rusher, defensive back that he missed or that the Cardinals missed, I should say, on Dam Buchanan and then Hassan Reddick, And then they pass on an offensive tackle, a right tackle, to you know keep maybe one of the best young players in the NFL, Kyler Murray, inside of a structure more often. And instead, at what, number seven overall, selected Isaiah Simmons.
3: And said Simmons is going to play linebacker.
0: That's going to do it for us. Good job, guys. My contraption, this umbrella, now that the sun has moved, is still in its place. It's it worked. Now. We made it through this one-hour-long podcast. We'll be back on thursday slash friday with another episode of this very show that's gonna do it any new content from you guys that you just want to plug while we're still here ian Harditz, how many columns have you written in
2: the last two weeks
0: 12 13
2: something like that we're going i'm going through 96 fancy relevant questions throughout this off season three for each team you can find them on my twitter wow
3: i have best ball tiers finishing up keep on coming out this week plus a column coming out either Friday or Monday that's kind of a special surprise. So.
0: Ooh. For John Daigle, for Ian Harditz. I am Josh Norris up the villa. I'll talk to y'all soon. See ya.
4: Justin. and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well.